The following program has been pre-recorded. Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to you In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto, joined by my co-host, David Blackman. We have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined by Michael Schellenberger, a great author of Apocalypse Never. This show is going to be joined by another co-host, Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy. And we're going to discuss Apocalypse Never, his book from Michael Schellenberger, as well as a environmentalist, if you will, who is talking truth about his feelings on the environment and also these rolling blackouts that we're hearing about coming out of California. But before I bring him on, I wanted to talk to you quickly about our latest issue of Shell Magazine. You know, it is dedicated to women in the energy industry, the November-December issue, in which the cover is Myrtle Jones, Vice President of Halliburton. And she has an amazing story of determination, drive, a wonderful education, and a superstar when you read her story. I encourage you to go to shalemag.com, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com, and read all about Myrtle. And, of course, all the other interesting articles that are inside of the November-December issue of Shell Magazine. And speaking of Shell Magazine, I'd also like to encourage our listeners to contact us if you are interested in getting the new 2021 media kit. You know, it's the holidays and we're all enjoying time with our family and friends. But I would also like to mention that it's also a great opportunity for us to sit and back for a little bit and think about how we are going to start the new year off right for our businesses. If you are wanting to market to the oil and gas, I encourage you to visit shellmag.com and request a media kit in which you will find all of the editorial content that is scheduled for 2021. And it also will give you an opportunity to think about how you're going to advertise your company to the oil and gas sector or to the general public. For more information on a media kit or to learn more about Shell Magazine and how you can advertise with them, please go to shale.com and request a media kit. And now it's time to welcome on my co-host, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. I have to say we are having some amazing weather all over. It's so nice and crisp and cool outside, and yet uh, the sun is out. It's just, you're right, it's absolutely fabulous weather for here in San Antonio anyway. Just just the same, hopefully, <laughs> as in your area. Let's get started. You know, all, all beautiful weather set aside, we've had a tumultuous, terrible year, 2020, I'm sure every single person on the planet is ready to kick out 2020 and bring on 2021. But we have had a nice surge in both rig count and oil prices over the past two months. So what are some of the factors that have been driving this good news? And what do you think the recovery, or do you think it's a recovery that we can continue to see throughout the new year 2021? Is this what's going to finally ring in for us as a better year in 2021? Well, I certainly hope so. Um, We have had... A, a good two months. We've had a 20% increase in oil prices, about a 30% jump in the rig count, uh, according to Baker Hughes. But of course, you know, that's from a 
almost all-time record low count, uh, below 200 active rigs, up to about 330 now. Um, it, it has been a nice recovery. We've had uh, a lot of bullish factors in play in the market recently. We've had very strong recovering demand in Eastern Asia, uh, in China, Japan, uh, Korea, South Korea, and I, who knows about North Korea, we never know. But, but uh, we, we've had good strong demand recovery there, and we've had good strong demand recovery even in Europe and the U.S. despite all the ongoing COVID restrictions. People are ready to get in their cars and move around and and of course, we're heating our homes now and, and using quite a lot of energy that way as well. So, demands you know, up, even though demands uh, up. it seems to be crazy what's going on yep. in the world. Yeah. Can we switch gears and talk sure. about OPEC Plus because the agreement for next year? What are the details uh, that the group and these countries agreed to? We, we have to remember that OPEC today is keeping about 7.7 million barrels of oil every day of their own production off of the market. They're not producing it. Okay. They could produce it, they're not. What they agreed to do beginning in January is to go down to put more oil onto the market. 500,000 barrels a day starting on January 1st. They are going to reassess, you know, they have been reassessing this deal every three or six months. Mm -hmm. Now they're going to reassess every month. They're going to track it all in real time mm -hmm. and they're going to make adjustments month to month. If they see at the end of January, you know, that, that they can afford to put another half a million barrels of oil per day on the market, they're going to do that. So it's going to be a lot more of a fluid situation than we've had uh, within that agreement uh, over the last couple of years. And and the problem that prevent, presents for shale producers, of course, is that their business models still depend on that deal holding together. And so frankly, is it any we, better that they're doing month to month for this, you know, the producers here in North America? Does it have that? Not potential? really. I don't think so. Now, I've, producers may tell you different. I don't know. But, but I think it reduces their level of certainty within their business model. And you know, they can change corporations very quickly. thrive on certainty. That's right. It can change month to month. Right. And so, you know, these companies, these bigger companies uh, work on drilling budgets that they plan every six months. Typically, they'll plan a first half of the year budget and a second half of the year budget. Now, you know, they're going to have to really be very flexible within their budgeting. Uh, in their capital spending uh, for, for every month and, and may have to make adjustments depending on what OPEC plus does, because that's going to influence whether the price goes up or down. So it's got, I, I just think it reduces certainty. It creates a little more tension within these companies and make them, make them less able to predict how the business is going to go from month to month. Your opinion, any other businesses that are quite as fickle as the oil and gas? I mean, these guys really, <laughs> they go through so much and of uncertainty, and yet it's a commodity that we cannot live without. And it's crazy to see what, what they really have is. to endure. Let's switch gears, talk about natural gas prices. On the other hand, they have taken a nosedive over the past two weeks. What's happening on that side of the business? Yeah, well, we're having a warm winter. You know, everybody two months ago thought we were going to have a cold winter. Uh, that has not uh, come about, 
And so we're not using as much natural gas as people thought we would be using, and that's creating a glut on the market. Mm -hmm. And so the price is going down. Um, hopefully we'll start getting some real cold fronts here pretty soon and, uh, you know, start using that natural gas and, and firm the price up a little bit. But it's, it's you know, it's just how it goes every winter for this industry. If, if it's a warm winter, gas prices are going to suffer as a result, and, and here we are again. Now, you talked about earlier that there's a, a demand for energy again coming back all over the world. And so how does the oil and gas, I mean, the natural gas, if it's taking a nosedive here, how does it, is it on the global stage as well? Is it affecting prices globally of what's being shipped out and yeah, exported? We're having a, a warm winter all in the Northern hemisphere. And so that's where most of the gas is used. And so prices are softening everywhere. But again, you know, long-term, the demand for natural gas is only going to increase. And, uh, and, and so if you are a natural gas producer in the United States, if you can make money at these prices, uh, you're in pretty good shape if you're sitting on a big, big reserve of natural gas for the long term. Let's uh, talk quickly about the situation at hand. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty right now in the political circle, and I, I don't want to get into, you know, really nasty situation that's going on. But as far as energy prices and the stock market has been up, is energy driving any of what appears to be a really good rebound for stocks what is triggering well, that yeah what part sure. of it is an energy in that part or you know what cheap energy it? cheap energy you know reduces costs for everybody uh, I, I filled my car up with gas last week and the price for regular at the station i go to was a dollar 65 a gallon now, i haven't seen a a price of gasoline that low in this century i need I to find believe. where you're buying that gas because yeah i mean it, it's amazing it was at a quick trip convenience store down the street from where we live. And, um, you know, I, I, it's just incredible. And so low gas prices, uh, help everybody's profitability. Okay. Yes. Uh, low gas prices, but yeah. there is such uncertainty between, will it be the Trump administration or the Biden administration, oh. which are worlds apart on oil and gas and energy and how we're going to proceed yeah. forward. I would have thought that would have triggered some uncertainty there for that reason, but it doesn't seem to be having that effect whatsoever. No, I think I think the assumption the market's making is that the Trump challenges to the election will fail and, and that Biden will be president. And so they, they believe it's a it's not an uncertain situation, I think, investors. And that's why why the stock market is has been improving here recently. Um, because, again, just like a business, the market thrives on certainty. Mm -hmm. And, and they just don't believe these these court challenges are going to prevail. So uh, I think that's really what's happening there. Interesting thing is we'll see how interesting it is what happens with the Texas lawsuit that just occurred. Yeah. Uh, that is, uh, I think, a game changer from all of the media reports that I'm reading potentially. And so we might see some uncertainty because of this. This is a game changer in, in many ways. From, from what I'm reading, is that your same Yeah, it could too? be. It, it could be. It's certainly a different approach. And uh, if you have common sense and can actually read the text of the Constitution, it certainly seems to have merit. But as, as we have seen so many times in the past, you don't, you don't know how judges, uh, <laughs> judges tend to read things differently than common, common people do. And so um, who knows how that's going to come out. Well, I'll agree with you on that. And David, with that, we're going to uh, close out this segment you're listening to on the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kim Bilotto. 
wanting to talk to you about how to age gracefully. As a woman, my appearance is important to me. It makes me feel good about myself when I feel I'm taking care of myself. And I have been visiting a woman for many years who has helped me with my wrinkles, my skin's elasticity. And you know, a lot of people think it's really just involving women, but it's not. Many, many men also seek treatments as they see the aging process occurring. I visit Cynthia, my friend of many years, who is a master injector for San Antonio Cosmetic Surgery. I feel very comfortable going to her and allowing her to just do her work on me. Pick up the phone, call Cynthia, make an appointment and see what she can do for you because it has taken years off of me. So if you want a free consultation with Cynthia, give them a call at 210-641-4320. Again, the number is 210-614-4320. Or you can visit their website at sanantoniocosmeticsurgery.net. Be sure to tell them that Kim with In the Oil Patch Radio Show sent you. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellato, and today we have a great show lined up for you. Our guest today is Michael Schellenberger, who is well-known for being an environmentalist for over 30 years and uh, has wrote a book, Apocalypse Never. But before I bring him on, I'd like to introduce that I have my co-host in studio, Mike Howard, today, CEO of Howard Energy. Mike, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Kim. Thanks for having me. And also, David Blackman, who is the editor of Shell Magazine. David, welcome to the show. You're joining us via Zoom. I am. I am. Hope I look pretty. You do. Well, so we do have a lot of things to cover, and I'm trying to stay on topic, so please uh, bear with me as I uh, go through my notes. I think why I wanted to have Michael on was because we seem to have hit a place where we are talking so much about climate change. It's getting so scary that uh, some of the topics I hope we can cover with Michael is, you know, are we scaring our kids to death? the current rolling blackouts in California that are happening, and then also talking about this election cycle coming up and, of course, climate change and, uh, you know, fracking, if they're going to ban it, has also been on the discussion. And so as we prepare for November the 3rd, I wanted to get into those different conversations. So, guys, let's go ahead and bring on Mike Schellenberger. Mike, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks for having me, guys. So just to give our listeners a pretty decent intro without taking too much time because you have a lot that you have uh, managed to do, I just wanted to cover a few things. First of all, you are Time Magazine gave you Hero of the Environment Award. You also have gotten Green Book Award winner. You also are the founder and president of Environmental Progress. Your current book out now, which is receiving five-star reviews, is Apocalypse Never which is an extremely important book because it covers a lot of environmental stuff, as well as you've been known for environmental guru, climate change uh, guru, North American's leading public intellectual on clean energy, high priest, and your TED Talks have been reviewed more than 5 million times. You've also advised policymakers from around the world. You also have been a climate and environmentalist for over 30 years, and you recently were invited by the Governmental Panel on Climate Change for 2019 to serve as an independent expert reviewer of its next assessment report that will be due and published in 2020. And as a leading environmental 
journalist, you have also had articles in Forbes, New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and of course, your TED Talks um, have been seen by more than six million people. Um, have I left anything out? I'm sure I have, but we have a limited time to introduce you. <laughs> I think that's fine for now. Um, and so uh, with, with that, I wanted to uh, kind of just ask you some of your reviews on your book. I, I listened to it last night. They're all five stars. Most of them are really geared at thanking you for really addressing one of the most controversial topics of our time, which is climate change. One of them was a title, The Environmentalist with Integrity. And so I wanted to start off with just asking you your opinion on, you've been in this for over 30 years, and you kind of changed your stance on your view of uh, the environment. And with that being said, you created this book. Why did you title the book what you titled it? Apocalypse Never. Yeah, so I mean, I wrote Apocalypse Never for my, I mean, I dedicated the book to my kids. And in their, between the either one of them is 14 and one of them is 21, I was working on a book about nuclear energy, actually. And, and then last year, when people started to make claims like billions of people will die from climate change or we have 10 years to act, I just felt like the conversation had gotten just really crazy and spiraled out of control and that somebody needed to first and foremost, just kind of separate the science from the science fiction. And so that's what I do on climate change, endangered species, plastic waste, meat consumption, deforestation, basically every major environmental issue. I just go through it and I describe what's what's real, what's not real. And then I also describe how humans save nature and talk about the importance of things like substitution, which is just you know the replacement of coal with natural gas, for example, or the replacement of switching from wood to LPG or to uh, nuclear, and that these acts of substitution are really the main event when it comes to saving the natural environment. Um, the other part of it is, of course, using less land to for food production in particular. And then the third part of the book is asking the question, why, if environmental problems are manageable, you know, we have real environmental problems. Um, some are very serious, uh, but they're not the end of the world. This is not the book of Revelations. This is not the apocalypse. This is, you know, in terms of climate, it's the planet getting a couple degrees, maybe three degrees warmer over pre-industrial levels. Certainly things to worry about, but it's not... You know, there's not really any scenario for us to see a return towards the kind of poverty that we escaped with fossil fuels. So that's what I wanted to address. And, um, you know, the title just felt like it needed to kind of uh, say exactly what I was saying. And so those felt like the two words that really got at it. The subtitle, as you might have mentioned, was why environmental alarmism hurts us all. And I just wanted to describe why it's a problem, this chronic exaggeration of environmental problems. I mean, it was shocking to me was how many environmental journalists who I criticize, I mean, they're really part of the problem. Right. Most environmental journalists are activists. They, are, they mm -hmm. go into environmental journalism because they're environmental activists. So they exaggerate like activists do. But I was surprised by how many of them were like, hey, come on, Michael, isn't it okay to exaggerate a little bit in service of the cause? That's kind of the basic idea for a lot of journalists. Well, you know what, though? And I compare it to, oh, sorry, go ahead. If you are 
doing that and it's causing children to commit suicide, that's a, there's a problem with you too. So I'm glad that you uh, decided to take this topic on because that's exactly what's happening in many different areas of the United States and children are very much alarmed. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to get back on this topic and talk a little bit more, really dig into your book. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Michael Schellenberger, author of his new book, Apocalypse Never. Michael, before the break, we were talking about how come you wrote the book, the title of the book. And I just, you know, wanted to thank you for writing the book and taking on this topic because I think it's a, it's a very complicated subject and something that is causing our children great anxiety. And as a mom and as a grandmother, we need to start talking about this topic, but in ways that are more healthier for their mental state. And I'm glad you dedicated your book to your children and that you're taking this topic on. If it's okay with you, I wanted to bring on my co-host, Mike, who is CEO of Howard Energy, because he has a lot of questions. We've all examined your book read your book, enjoy your book, but let's switch gears just a little bit. Mike, go ahead. Hi, Michael. Uh, you know, read your book on the recommendation of one of my favorite anti-poverty, uh, I'm going to call him an activist, but he's a CEO of an energy company, Chris Wright. Uh, and and I, I really enjoy Chris's talks uh, and I appreciate him, his recommendation. I'm going to recommend everybody listening uh, to buy the book. So in our industry, we hear a lot about, especially as a CEO in this industry, about a net zero goal that a lot of companies have by 2050 or sooner. And it makes us feel like our industry is going out of business. So my question, first question to you is, from your perspective, you're not in the industry, you're outside the industry looking in, what is the future of oil and natural gas uh, to, to the world's energy future? Well, it's a very interesting question, and I address it in, at length throughout the book. I mean, one of the themes in the book is energy transitions, which is just the simple substitutions that I'm talking about. I even talk about the history of the study of energy transitions. So really among energy experts, energy scholars, historians of energy, this switch from renewables, wood and dung and water wheels and windmills to fossil fuels is just the big event of the last 250 years. I mean, this is industrialization, it's modernization, it's going from being small farmers on the brink of starvation to being the rich jet setting people that we are. Um, and if you think that's bad, that 
that industrialization is bad, then you're against fossil fuels. Um, if you recognize that your own prosperity is something that we should be grateful for <laughs> and that we don't, you know, that one out of three of our children don't die before the age of five is something we should celebrate. Right. Or that deaths from natural disasters has, has declined over 90% over the last 100 years. If you think all that's good, then you should want a high energy society. We know that the Industrial Revolution wasn't possible with renewables. It required coal in England and, and fossil fuels around the world. It also, hydro, big hydroelectric dams helped too. So then the question is, how fast do these energy transitions occur and what is their character? Well, the character is clear. It's a move from low power density sources to high power density sources. Power density is just how much power you're producing per hectare acre of land. So it's just a simple environmental measure of your energy. So it's not just that there's a twice as much energy in a lump of coal as a lump of wood. It's also that a coal mine produces hundreds, maybe thousands of times more uh, energy or power in the form of heat or electricity than does a forest. And so that's why we can only have wealth, this kind of modern wealth that we enjoy thanks to fossil fuels. There's also a transition inside fossil fuels. First, it was from coal to petroleum led, of course, by, famously by Churchill and the transition to petroleum-powered ships, but then also with trains. I mean, it's interesting that in the United States, we had wood-powered trains until we until we deforested so much that it was more That's efficient right. to go to coal, whereas in Europe, they had transitioned earlier. And then, of course, we transitioned, um, so we have we transitioned eventually to electricity for trains, and um, but we're still stuck with pretty heavy oil for the ships. So then the question is, all right, what comes after petroleum and natural gas? I mean, natural gas, sorry, of course, substitutes for coal. That's what's happening in the United States. It's what's been happening around the world. It's why emissions are going down. We're clearly, for my view, I, I mean, I think most experts think that the gas age is going to last a really long time. I mean, really the whole century, for sure. No question about it. And then you get to petroleum. We can talk about that. But you get to petroleum, and there's a lot of hype about electric cars, but they don't they don't seem to me to be obvious substitutes for petroleum. Um, there's certainly a very large group of scholars and the entire Japanese government, which is a very engineer and science-oriented government, that thinks it's going to be hydrogen that ends up replacing petroleum. But either way, that's a long ways away. I mean, the fact that, like, the coronavirus, you know, depression has destroyed many oil and gas companies or the fact that the world is so awash in oil and gas that it's de that it's resulted in in the bankruptcies and the consolidations that you've seen in the industry. That's just that doesn't have anything to do with energy transitions. I mean, in some ways, what it does is it just it just shows how difficult it will be to replace petroleum and natural gas because of their high power densities in the case of petroleum. And then, of course, because their environmental benefits in the case of natural gas. So for me, I just kind of go, we're clearly in for another century at least of gas and petroleum, probably that much. Um, it's not, there's not going to be, they're not going to regulate their way out of from petroleum to electric cars or something. When we return, I want to get back on that topic. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back.
we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Michael Schellenberger, who is the author of Apocalypse Never, fast-selling book that's out right now. You can get it at Amazon. Michael, before the break, you were talking about that we are not going to get off of uh, fossil fuels, at least for a century. Can we get back on that topic? I'd like for you to finish your thoughts on the chapter that you have on the energy transition. Sure. So, I mean, I think if you're looking at energy, you know, so you look at past energy transitions to think about future energy transitions. And so the tr- the first thing is that the trend is clearly towards more energy dense fuels. So that's why I don't think we are ever going to transition back towards energy dilute fuels, namely renewables. Solar and wind farms required three to four to hundred times more land than a natural gas plant or a nuclear plant, and that means there's huge costs, and that doesn't even deal with the unreliability. So I think that we should and will eventually transition from fossil fuels to nuclear, not to renewables, and that that transition will look similar to the transitions from coal to petroleum, coal to natural gas, wood to coal, and those transitions all took hundreds of years. I mean, we're in a fast transition right now from coal to natural gas. Anybody that studies energy statistics over 100-year, 200-year timeframes knows that the speed at which coal has been replaced by natural gas in the United States is really fast. Um, fast. So we're clearly, it's, it's not like these transitions occur in some smooth way. They're lumpy and disruptive, just like all technological changes. So, yeah, I mean, we're transitioning from uh, coal to natural gas. Um, That's going to take decades. There's still some countries for whom it may be cheaper still to do coal, but for the most part, it looks like countries are going to be able to do a lot of natural gas, which is great news from an environmental point of view. And then the issue of petroleum. So to understand the the past energy transitions from coal to petroleum or uh, even wood to coal, that these are energy transitions where the end use technology, which is the car, the automobile in the case of petroleum, or it was the oil powered ships and trains, that those are driving much of those transitions. And so, you know, you kind of go, is the Tesla electric car a model for future vehicles? I don't think so. It's material, it's rematerialized the car. The car is much heavier than, than existing uh, petroleum fueled cars. And then there's, uh, there's the range problems, which we've never solved. Um, so, I mean, it seems to me that if it were to be electric cars and I'm not, I'm not saying it couldn't be or that there's no scenario in which it could be because there's, you know, I could be wrong, but if we do transition to electric cars, it would, I think you'd have to see some disruptive end use of those electric vehicles that I don't think would follow the traditional car model. In other words, I don't think we're going to have we're going to everybody's car is going to be like a Tesla electric car because of the high cost and the range problems and the bulkiness and the that material intensity of it. Mm-hmm. But if you have like a fleet of electric cars that operated, you know, like Uber, like, you know, but driverless sure. Uber kind of cars, I could potentially see it. But we're not really seeing that even happening. So, well, yeah. so I that, just think, you know, anyway, go ahead. So, so that, that begs the question then. Uh, does solar and wind have a place in the energy transition? Is there a place that it does work? Well, it works. It works in my my wife's garden and <laughs> in the backyard. I mean, I'm not like against solar and wind mm-hmm. if you want to buy solar panels. Um, but I just don't. I don't know why we would be killing 
endangered species, including our Joshua tree and desert tortoises in California for environmental reasons. That doesn't make any sense. Sure. It makes sense as a religious ritual, which is basically what it is. Yeah. Um, these large solar and wind farms. And I also think it's worked for the natural gas industry as a kind of greenwashing. You know, they've been using solar and wind as a way to basically shut down nuclear and to some extent coal plants in the name of the environment because people think renewables are good for the environment. And the reason they think they're good for the environment is just because they think they're more natural, which is just silly. You know, people just think solar, people think sunlight is more natural than uranium, which is just dumb. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a, I think it's a fad. It's also a religion. I think it's the dominant religion of the elite. You know, both the, you know, the, so I think there's both a financial, my book talks about the motivations are power, money, and religion. And people are like, do you really, you know, someone's asked me, they kind of go, are they people pretending, you know, is like the, you know, it's like the secretary general of the United Nations, is he pretending to, no, it's this religion. It's, it's like saying, it would be like asking, did the conquistadors from Spain who went to Mexico and Peru and other countries, were they pretending to be Catholic? No, but that didn't stop them from like, you know, trying to make money or trying to find gold. Yeah. <laughs> and that's basically what's happening on renewables. Go ahead. So it, this is a, a, going to be a, a short answer here, but I'm familiar with a lot of the, your work around uh nuclear energy, which I found just fascinating uh, and all the work around that. One of the things that you say in the book is the energy that I would use in my lifetime uh, could be produced from uranium that could fit inside of a Coke can. Uh, we have a very, it'd be a short answer before we can come back and maybe complete it. But how do you calculate that? What's going on there? Well, the difference between, uh, yeah, so just a Coke can of uranium can provide all the energy I need for my entire life, including all of my energy intensive jet fuel. And that's just explained by energy density, the much higher levels of energy density in that lump of uranium than in a lump of coal. Although just to say it more accurately, you're burning the coal. So you're splitting the molecules in the coal, but in the uranium, you're splitting the atoms. And so you're just releasing gigantically larger quantities, million times more heat um, by breaking those atomic bonds than you are by breaking those molecular bonds. Well, Mike, with that, let's take a break. I want to come back to your book, but I did want to also tell you and your chapter of uh, destroying the environment to clean the earth was a very interesting chapter to me. And I do encourage your listeners to get your book because in that one, you go into great detail on the problem that the wind farms are facing with extinction of many birds, including bats, which are vital to us, birds, and of course, uh, bald eagles. So it's a very, very interesting chapter as well uh, in which you go into the details. And it, they're all over Texas, so I do encourage people to read the book because it'll help them understand a little bit more about what's really something, what we should be thinking about when we're looking at pushing a lot more wind farms out. I'm not knocking them, I'm just saying we should be considering all things, and one of them is uh, the threat to our wildlife. You're listening to In the Wolf Pets Radio Show. We'll be right back. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil Field Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. 
Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. Welcome back to In the All Pets Radio Show. I'm David Blackman. My co-host, Kim Bellotto, and co-host, Mike Howard, CEO of Howard Energy, with our special guest, Mike Schellenberger, a brilliant uh, environmental energy author of several books and uh, writer all over the American news media. Michael, um, coming back into this final segment, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of current events. We, we've had major hurricane hit the Texas coast again uh, in August. Hurricane Laura, it's the third major hurricane in four years that has hit the Port Arthur, Beaumont area. And I was so glad to hear you talking about the religion of climate change. I've been writing that for 25 years myself. Um, One of the the bits of dogma of that religion is that climate change is causing the frequency and intensity of major hurricanes uh, in the Atlantic and Pacific basins to intensify, and I just wanted to give you a chance to talk about that. I know you've addressed it in your writing, and uh, is that really something that's happening as a part of climate change? Right, so this is, I think, just one of the most um, deceitful efforts around climate change. It's been going on for at least 31 years, 32 years. So 1988, you know, they manipulated the air conditioning systems in Washington, D.C.'s in Congress. Two senators did to make the hearing room hotter. So obviously we're, you know, as biological creatures, we're oriented towards the weather. And so the weather is always news, right? And it's always been news and it will always be news. And so climate activists have basically tried to point to the weather as evidence of climate change or as evidence that things are getting worse I mean, this is the thing I keep stressing. If all you need to know about climate change, there's only two, two things you need to know. The most important two things are deaths from natural disasters have been going down and they've been gone down 90%. And there's no scenario for that. I'm about to write something that says there's no scenario for that trend to reverse itself. There's no scientific scenario. There's science fiction, but there's no reason to think that we're going to see an increase in deaths from natural disasters or disease, infectious disease, COVID obviously being you know, uh, a a once-in-a-century event, but deaths from infectious disease have been going down. So they leave that out. And I was testifying in front of Congress a couple of weeks ago, and I explained to the members of the the hearing, I said, look, I don't know if you all understand, but when people talk about climate change increasing deaths from natural disasters or disease, they're saying against all else being equal. In other words, against some scenario where there was no change in temperature. Well, yeah, but all else is not equal. And the change in temperature is a consequence of energy consumption, which has 
which has driven down the deaths from natural disasters and right. has reduced the dis deaths from disease. So you can't have it that way. You have to understand that what they're talking about is against a hypothetical. I mean, if it were up to me, sure. You know, if all else, I don't, we would rather not have any change in the temperature, but that's because we've constructed a whole civilization around this temperature. But that's not an option. And first of all, it's not even clear it was an option without humans causing climate change. Um, you know, it might have gotten a lot colder. So, you know, I think it's been very manipulative. You know, I, I think conservatives and Republicans are have done it too, though I think in some ways it's been more of a reaction, you know, like the like the pointing right. to snow in winter. Virtue signaling, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, conservatives kind of respond by saying it's winter, so there's no climate change. I mean, that's just as kind of ridiculous. So I just think both sides have done it. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, I think you can find, we can find um, more heat waves, longer fire season in California, you can find some, in, some the scientists say they can find, and I have no reason to doubt them, some faster wind speeds and some hurricanes. But, but in terms of the impacts, in terms of the things that you care about, which is deaths, first and foremost, but also costs, um, things have been getting better, not worse. And so yeah. I, I just think that that removing that context from people is really at the heart of the of the scare campaign. Well, you mentioned California, and that, that brings me to my next question. In August, we had these weeks on end, frankly, of rolling blackouts in California. Many in the news media, many policymakers in California attempted to blame all of that on the, the, the wildfires that California has every year. But really, is that really what caused the reason was behind those blackouts? Wasn't the real reason that it all started different than, than the fires themselves? Right. So there's two there's two sets of blackouts. I mean, the first was the blackouts last fall, which were forced because forced because we had not spent the money that we should have spent on keeping the vegetation from touching the electrical wires. Um, we spent that money on renewables instead. We spent it on renewables, and then we saw our electricity prices go up six times more than they went up in the rest of the United States over the last decade. Yeah. So that's that. And then, and then lo and behold, um, unreliable electricity makes electricity unreliable. Who would have thought of it? <laughs> Who would have thought of it? And so in California, we almost had blackouts, very, very out of control, what they call cascading failures. Um, which is just what it sounds like. And that was because there's a, the religion, this is, it shows the degree to which the religion has taken hold among the ruling class in California. The ruling elites persuaded themselves that they didn't need, oh, all this nuclear power plants or natural gas plants, that they could run the state on solar panels and batteries. Well, that that was spectacularly disproven. And so what we saw for the first time was the governor acknowledge that reliability is a problem with renewables, which sounds like ridiculous, but that's progress out here that you would even it acknowledge is, yeah. that there's problems right. with, with reliability. So I think renewables are actually headed for a pretty serious crisis. I think there's a lot of opt or a lot of feigned optimism in that community around the election of Biden around subsidies, but you got to remember that like renewables have ground to a halt. Wind has basically ground to a halt in Germany, not because they don't have the subsidies, but because the citizen activism and the environmental activism has blocked uh, the construction of transmission lines and new wind farms. 
Right. So, and that's happening in the United States as well. I mean, there's a very powerful movement in Nebraska to stop this big transmission line from going in, led <laughs> by Native Americans and homeowners and environmentalists. And that really puts a, so I just think that the land use and the unreliability, the high land use and unreliable renewables means that their days are numbered. Well, Michael, thank you for coming in and talking to us a little bit about your book. I do want to give you an opportunity to tell us where to get your book. I, I got your book off of Amazon, but I want you to close with uh, where can our listeners grab your book? Because this is just touching the tip of all of the information that's in your books, whether you want to know about when, what's happening in California, nuclear. And if you really want to get informed on the topic of energy, your book is one of the best books. So where can our listeners go and uh, grab a copy? Well, I'm happy to say the book is back in stock. It was out of stock at Amazon for a few, several weeks. We're actually in our sixth printing. It's a bestseller in the U.S. and the U.K. Um, so Amazon's great. Your local bookstore is great. Thank you. And, you know, people can follow me, follow me on Twitter, Schellenberger MD, and also on Facebook. So, yeah, I'd love to stay in touch and love to come back on the show um, and we can keep the conversation going. You got it. Again, thank you for writing such a wonderful and insightful book. Everybody go Google on Amazon, Apocalypse Never. Thank you, Michael, once again for joining in the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you, Michael. Great. Thanks, guys. Nice to meet you. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.